Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. In this edition of Hoopsology, Justin and Matt welcome the host of Lockdown Pelicans and the Lockdown NBA podcast, Jake Madison. Jake breaks down how the Pelicans can recover from the recent injuries to Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram and what the future lies for Zion as a premier superstar in the NBA. We also discuss why Russell Westbrook has directly affected the Pelicans in terms of him being traded recently. We also discuss the league-shaking trades of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant as well in the Western Conference and a bunch more. Please email your questions to hoopsologypod at gmail.com and follow us on all social media platforms. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. We are a proud member of Underdog Podcast. And now, Jake Madison. Um, I want to talk about Russell Westbrook because he said something very, very interesting how him going to Utah directly affects the New Orleans Pelicans. Can you expand on that? Yeah, I mean, the Pelicans and the Lakers are very tied together, even still from the Anthony Davis trade a couple of years ago. You know, this year in particular, the Pelicans have the right to swap first-round picks with the Lakers, so they're going to get the better of the two. Well, if the Lakers, when they looked really bad to start the year, it looked like that could have been the top overall pick, and all of a sudden you have Wemby coming to New Orleans, a -a once-in-a-generational big-man prospect. makes people who are Pelicans fans pretty excited, but as the Lakers had a very good trade deadline, I thought that kind of devalues that pick the, the Pelicans still might finish better, but they might only, say, improve their draft slot by four or five picks potentially instead of jumping all the way into the lottery or something along those lines. So the teams are very much tied together, mainly because of draft compensation in the future. If you're a Pelicans fan, you want the Lakers to be as bad as possible for the next couple of years. They also still own one other first-round pick from the Lakers that's going to be in one or two years up to the Pelicans. So watching that team be bad is important, but you know, getting Westbrook, I think, out of L.A. really does improve them. Getting Jared Vanderbilt back Malik Beasley D'Angelo Russell much more depth than they've had at any point in time this season I think certainly helps them getting a good shooter and putting him around LeBron James seems like a good idea so Beasley was a good pickup there they had a you know another good move in getting a backup center in Mo Bamba I like what they did at the trade deadline it's kind of annoying being a Pelicans fan (laughs) so a lot of movement within the Western Conference huge moves I just overall question like what is your your, I guess, optimism just in terms of where the Pelicans fit in, like, you know, certainly the Phoenix Suns and the Dallas Mavericks in terms of their roster changes. Um, are you are you feeling more hopeful or are you feeling more pessimistic just based on kind of the shift in the balance of power, especially within the Western Conference? I feel fine, to be perfectly honest. You know, the West, it's an arms race right now. It started with the Kyrie Irving trade going to Dallas, which was then pretty much followed up soon after with the Kevin Durant news that broke at like midnight the other night. You know, and then you saw teams like the Clippers make some kind of medium level moves to improve them a little bit. The Lakers really retooling their roster. It's, It's competitive out there and the West is pretty jumbled up. Right, the Pelicans went on a ten-game losing streak and are still only four. Uh, sorry, two games back of the fourth seed in the Western Conference. It could go any direction right now for a number of these teams. So. You look at that, and it's easy, I think, to panic a little bit. The Suns got Kevin Durant, Kyrie going to the Mavs. You got to keep up with all of that. But I've said all along, I believe this Pelicans team is 
pretty good. You know, this is a team that was first in the West. They've been second in the West. They held third in the West for a long time without Brandon Ingram. You know, when you look at this Pelicans team, it's tough to actually say, like, what they are. You know, are they a strong playoff team? Are they a play-in tournament team? Are they a title contender? We don't really know because we haven't gotten enough games of them being healthy to really have that kind of read on this roster just yet. You know, you've gotten 10 games, I think it is, out of Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and CJ McCollum all together. That's not going to quite work. You, you need more than that to really truly understand what this team is made of. So to hold third in the West for a long time with the injuries that they've been experiencing, I think is a really good sign that this team could be really, really good. You know, Zion's only played 29 games this year. Brandon Ingram's only played 21 games this year. You know, neither guy getting above 30. If they all play together and they've been this good already, I think that's, this is a team that could be looking at a top four seed, top two seed potentially in the Western Conference. So while the Mavs got better, yeah, the Spur, uh, the uh, the Suns got better, yeah, I still pretty much believe in this Pelicans team and what they're capable of doing. Jake, um, just kind of piggybacking off of that, might as well mention that the Pelicans did acquire Josh Richardson uh, over the trade deadline. What do you see as kind of his role? How big of a move was that for the Pelicans? So I'll be honest, that was a salary dump by the Pelicans. Looking forward to next season. They wanted to get Devontae Graham off the books. They were projected going into next year, if they didn't make a move really, to be about $7 million into the luxury tax, which for a small market that's never paid the luxury tax, I don't know if that's something that they were willing to do just yet. So you get off of Devontae Graham now. They didn't move Jackson Hayes, who's not going to be back next year. This gets them about $6 million under the luxury tax long term. So this move was more about next year, really, than this year. That said, there's still a slightly better team, a marginally better team, you know, right now than they were at the start of the day. You know, Richardson adds a little bit of size. He's six foot four. That's better than Devontae Graham, who's undersized, isn't good defensively. Richardson's good enough, I think, on that side of the ball. While being a decent enough three-point shooter, he'll get some spot minutes. This isn't a big move for New Orleans, but it certainly upgrades them ever so slightly, which, hey, it's better than not. Was that move about kind of what you expected in terms of the amount of noise the Pelicans were going to make during the deadline? Do you think fans are disappointed by a quiet deadline? Um, what do you make of, of their trade deadline? Yeah, on my show, Locked on Pelicans, I've been talking about the future luxury tax ramifications for like three weeks now, saying they're, they're not in a great spot. Zion's extension kicks in next year. You're paying three guys 30 plus million dollars. That limits a lot of your flexibility. Trying to carve out a little bit more flexibility to try and make other roster moves, I think, is important. And if the Pelicans kind of realize what they're in with the injuries here, they're not likely going to be a top four seed. Maybe this isn't the year you kind of push all the chips in, pay the tax, and go and and try and win a championship and maybe it's next year or the year after that and this gives them a whole lot more flexibility to do that you know this team isn't the lakers they're not the knicks they're not even portland who's paid the tax a bunch this is a team that at times acts cheap like many small market franchises do so when you try and kind of project out and predict what they're going to do you've got to really factor those sorts of things in so i saw a, a fairly quiet deadline for new orleans i think you know they they definitely had talks about og ananobi from the toronto raptors but there's concern 
concerns, one, about how much he's making this year, and he's due for a new contract soon. You're going to have to pay him $30-plus million. Can you afford four guys at $30-plus million? And is the fourth guy really OG Ananobi, or are you looking elsewhere? So I think New Orleans looks at this and goes, we're a good enough team this year. We'll make some noise in the postseason, even if we don't win a title. And next year, we'll maybe trade some of those Lakers picks, the Bucks picks, the other draft picks that they have to really kind of make a splash in time when they're going to pay the luxury tax, when they're really going to go all in at the exact right time. And I felt like they didn't see it being this year. They can get their books in order a little bit better soon. And I think that's when you'll see them go, okay, we're a really good team now. And now we're going to kind of blow open the doors on trying to win an NBA championship. Yeah, it did seem like uh, for weeks there, just about every single team in the league was rumored to trade for OG Ananobi. Um, Curious, can you update our listeners? Just you mentioned the injuries that the Pelicans need to recover from. What is the timeline on that? Who's impacted right now? And are they going to be able to get together and kind of mesh or gel before the playoffs start? There's one name you got to look at here, and it's Zion Williamson. You know, they've been without Brandon Ingram for 20-something games. He, he was dealing with a toe contusion that kept him out longer than we would have liked. But he's come back. He's kind of rounded back into four. In the past couple of games, he's played really well, including a big win over the Lakers a week ago. He torched the Atlanta Hawks on Tuesday night. He looks back. The only other guy they're, they're truly worried about right now is Zion Williamson. That's the engine that makes the car go. This is a guy that was going to be an all-star starter this year, but he's not going to end up playing in the game. So we're not going to see him before the all-star break. They have three games remaining. He's not going to play in the all-star game. We're likely going to see him immediately after the all-star break. So this gives him about two, three more weeks to really get fully healthy. He's dealing with a grade two hamstring strain. Those are the type of injuries that you just got to follow like the doctor's guidance on, right? It's like two weeks, then you reevaluate, then two more weeks, then you reevaluate, and then two more weeks and maybe they can play. Zion's right on that timeline. There hasn't been any setback or anything like that that I've heard of just yet. So I expect to see him immediately after the all-star break. The good news for the Pelicans here who've been waiting to just finally get healthy is they have the fifth easiest schedule the rest of the way after the all-star break so as i mentioned earlier they're two games out of the fourth seed you get zion back you have a fully healthy team here that was first place in the western conference at one point maybe you do go on a run can they go something you know like 20 and it's it's about 25 games left so not 20 but could you go like 15 and 10 something like that that can really kind of boost you up the standing significantly or better than that right and i wouldn't be shocked if that's something that new orleans is capable of doing I think this team is deep there's a lot of talent there that's young up-and-coming talent that's growing throughout the season you're top heavy but you're really good with those guys there I'm curious to see what they're going to look like assuming they stay healthy the rest of the way but it's waiting on Zion Williamson and we're gonna have to wait till after the all-star break so what is Zion's mental state just in terms of this season? It seems like things were coming together before the injury you mentioned just um, him getting that all-star nod is this hamstring injury like a massive setback in his mind or is he feeling pretty optimistic? This is how the season goes just with these injuries that occurred through the season. It's a good question because as he dealt with the foot injury that kept him out all of last year, he's spoken out, you know, in the past couple of months about what he was dealing with mentally, how down he was, depression, things like that, you know, and that it makes it tough to kind of recover from that. People were commenting on his weight all the time, different things. This is entirely different. He's been around the team every day. You see him on the bench, just ju- not jumping up and down because please don't do that and re-aggravate the injury, but he's having a lot of fun there. He's been really involved. He's been very involved with his teammates animated on the sidelines those are the type of things that you want to see from him very connected to the 
team. Whereas last year, when dealing with that foot injury, he was disconnected. I think I think he'd like to play. You know, if you're looking for any friction in there, it might be that the Pelicans are saying like, no, 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 you're not ready yet. We're not going to play you. Whereas he would like to. That happened his rookie year when he missed part of the season. He was on a minutes restriction coming back. He wanted to play in the postseason last year against the Phoenix Suns. And they were like, that's not going to happen after a whole year off. He doesn't like to be held out when he thinks he could be playing. I don't think that's really a big issue here. And I think he gets it. He's been very happy, very involved, though. So I don't think there's any concern about him on kind of like the mental aspect of things. You, you follow this team in depth, and Zion's been one of the most fascinating players ever since he was at Duke, and just not to mention all this, his, he was a social media sensation even before Duke. But I've been wondering, it's been hard for me to really contextualize what is his future as a superstar in this league just due to his injuries. You follow him up close compared to just casual fans that really are pretty ignorant to what he goes through on a daily basis. So just asking you, are you optimistic that he can be consistent through future NBA seasons as a star in this league? Or do you think that this is going to be par for the course that he's going to miss a significant amount of time um, in his future seasons? It's tough, right? You know, injuries are, are, are tricky to talk about. I'm not a doctor, right? We don't get a lot of the medicals on these injuries to really kind of have the full picture. So you kind of see someone who's missed parts of every year that he's played, including a whole missed season. And I get that it's easy to kind of look at that and be like, oh, this guy's never going to be healthy, right? You know, look at a guy like Anthony Davis. It's always something, isn't it? I also think some of these things are just kind of fluky, right? Like he was in the middle of the game, kind of pulled up his hamstring, pulled a hamstring, right? Like I don't know how you're supposed to kind of prevent those sorts of things. And when you look at the injuries to Zion Williamson, none of them are the exact same thing. And they don't necessarily appear to be connected, right? He's fully healed from that foot injury. So it didn't impact this hamstring injury that he's dealing with. You know, his rookie year, it was a knee injury. That wasn't tied to the foot injury two years later because he actually had a very healthy season in between all of that it's tough to really make of that and I you know I don't have a good answer for you other than I just kind of look at all injuries it's just like kind of fluke things because what what can you really do and from talking to injury experts around the league team doctors it's it, they kind of view it as that you try and do as much preventative work as you can and Zion is doing all of that this past off season he really recommitted himself to basketball working with a personal trainer in the off season has a personal chef to keep him eating right to avoid some of the weight gain that he's put on and part of it is just he's a freak athlete and kind of one of one as they describe him he eats he puts on weight and he has to eat a lot when you kind of have that kind of body and play the style that he does right so he's working on those sorts of things and i think that's all you can really ask for maybe injuries are going to occur maybe not but he's kind of controlling everything that he can control to try and minimize that for the future that's what you want out of a guy yeah, such a relief to see him come back this year and have a great start to the season uh, along with the team. Another thing that's been talked about with the Pelicans, I think quite a bit over the last few years, is the dynamic between Ingram and Zion. A lot of people saying, like, ultimately, you're going to have to choose between one or the other. But it seems like these are pretty versatile guys. What do you make, as someone who covers the team, what do you make of their dynamic, their relationship, and like long-term viability of that pairing? 
Yeah, look, they work together. There's there's no doubt in my mind when I hear people say like, oh, they don't fit. Like that that's someone who's not watching the team a lot. I can tell you that, right? They they've had seasons where they've played the majority of it. Two years ago when Stan Van Gundy was the head coach, they played 80% of the season together, right? That's a good enough sample size, I think, to kind of understand that. Brandon Ingram had been an all-star the year before. And that season we played entirely with Zion, he put up the same numbers as his all-star year. I'm going to say it's pretty good there. Zion was an all-star starter that year, too. So they've worked together. They can coexist. I, I don't really see that being as much of a problem. You know, they're they're good friends. They're not, like, out partying all the time with each other, but they get along fine. In fact, the team chemistry on this Pelican squad is really, really high. They really like each other. They really enjoy hanging out with each other, enjoy playing basketball with each other. But you have two guys, you know, Zion's a current all-star. B.I.'s been a past all-star. And if you look at their numbers of the past couple seasons bi especially they are remarkably consistent 23 24 25 points per game somewhere in that range really similar assist numbers really similar rebound numbers really similar shooting percentages those are the type of things you want to see from it it means he can adapt his game he was an all-star without zion zion comes back it changed his shot selection completely and he still put up the exact same numbers that speaks a lot to brandon ingram and how he can work around others and make the team better too and that you know being a mid-range assassin like that you need a guy like that because that's going to be open, especially in the postseason. And that's why he averaged almost 30 points per game against the Phoenix Suns in their first round playoff series last year. So I think they're fine long term. You know, you're just committing a lot of salary to that. It can make team building a little bit tougher, but the salary cap is going to go up every year after that when the new uh, CBA, when they eventually get that done and the new TV deal gets done too. That I think will ease things on New Orleans too, but they definitely feel that they have a special pairing here between those two guys. Another huge addition, of course, has been C.J. McCollum. Can you talk about his leadership, his impact as a veteran presence on this team? And do you sense there might be a little bit of regret in Portland for letting him go to New Orleans and seeing how he's been flourishing there? Yeah, you know, sometimes it, you need an adult in the room is the way I kind of describe it. And that's C.J. McCollum, yeah. right? He's, he's the president of the Players Association. This is like the elder statesman that kind of commands a lot of respect. And they've tried, and it's a young team. Brandon, Brandon Ingram's still young. He's been in the league for a while. Zion's still young. You have a number of other young guys, Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, Najee Marshall, Jose Alvarado, Dyson Daniels, who they just drafted seventh. All these guys are young guys that need a veteran present to, presence to kind of show them the way. They've used a guy like J.J. Redick in the past, but he wasn't here long enough to really kind of make that impact and dealt with some of the COVID stuff. C.J. is the guy that just kind of brings that professionalism to the team, and that's so important. You see him at times almost like annoyed with some of the younger guys on the team for things they do in game, and he's trying to kind of get them to snap out of it and do what they need to do, and they listen to him. Getting buy-in is one of the most important things that you can get in the NBA. If you can get buy-in from players as a coach or another player, that's a very, very valuable skill, and he has that. He's also a guy that can get buckets when he needs to. He's not the most efficient guy, but he's a three-point threat, and when you're playing with Zion, you're going to get wide-open three-point looks. He'll take what defenses give him in the mid-range. He's great there, too. They've used him kind of more as a point guard, so you're seeing more of his passing ability this year. Just kind of, you know, when, when it was the trade deadline last year, there was like so much smoke around CJ McCollum going to the Pelicans because it's just the move that made so much sense. Like everyone was like, this is going to happen. And lo and behold, it did because 
yeah, sometimes these things just kind of work the way they should. And trading for CJ McCollum last year, bringing him in, giving him a new extension so that he's here long term, I think all kind of part of the, the master plan of what they're trying to build here in New Orleans and having that veteran presence that's a very, very, very productive player is a big part of it. Jake, I want to get your overall opinions on Durant and Kyrie Irving overall and just kind of this man and I were talking off air before you hopped on just about um, the disaster that was the Brooklyn Nets and just kind of get your overall, if you can just kind of place this in context in terms of how this affects the league, um, just in terms of where do you see kind of legacies with Kyrie Irving, Durant, just other observations is based on this kind of this the last couple of you know few days here, just with the reshuffling of these high profile players. There's it, this is going to be something kind of that Brooklyn Nets team that like never worked out right. Harden, Kyrie, Durant, then Simmons there after the Harden trade. You know, three superstar players being like get me the heck out of here. That's going to be really interesting. And I think that's something that is going to have ramifications for a long time. And we'll look back on that and be like, wow, that was actually really important. It's going to affect the CBA negotiations. Harden trying to force his way out, you know, from Houston first, then the Brooklyn Nets with like four plus years left on his contract. No owner wants that. That's not a good position for them or even fans to be in, I think. And so that's going to become a sticking point. Almost all of them kind of getting their, their, destination they wanted to go to you know Harden tried to bully his way out of there and they sent him to where he wanted to go in Philly Kevin Durant wanted to go to the Suns other teams probably could have made better offers but they wanted to kind of almost do right by him and send him to the team or other teams weren't making such good offers because they weren't sure how if he would behave or not Kyrie wanted to go to the Lakers but I don't think he's upset about being in Dallas right now and being that he's a pending free agent maybe he still ends up there shows you a lot of the the player empowerment era that we're in and that they can kind of do what they want. And I wonder if that's going to lead to some very fierce CBA renegotiations when owners try and bring some of that power back, right? Like the labor versus owner dynamic is just going to simply come out of this. That has the potential to shut the league down for a period of time if we end up in another lockout, because I think the owners are furious about a situation like this occurring. You know, this is also going to impact guys like Chris Paul and his legacy. If Kevin Durant can get him to the finals and get him a title, that changes changes how we're going to ultimately look at Chris Paul. And if Kevin Durant can take another team there, that's going to impact how we look at him. You know, if Kyrie's not on his best behavior for these next 30 games or so in Dallas, how does that change his legacy, right? Certainly, I don't think he, depending on how you view him, is someone who's particularly well-liked by fans around the league, kind of for how he acts a lot of the time, you know, but if he's on his best behavior and leads them far, does that change the narrative or does it kind of blow up even more depending? So there's a lot at stake from when we look at all of this and something that's going to impact the league, I think, for a long time. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those situations where I think we're going to have, you know, some sort of 30, 30, 30 for 30 or like several documentaries on, yeah. <laughs> on this and what went on behind the scenes. It does seem to me, you know, one thing that I just keep replaying in my mind and asking myself is is you have Kevin Durant for three years left on his contract I mean why on earth would you rush to make a move like this and and it does seem to me granted I don't know anything behind the scenes but it does seem like there's a very personal element that went into this just fatigue finally you know Josiah saying Let, let's be done with this no, you're right, right? It wasn't part of the reporting that they were not going to send Kyrie to the Lakers almost despite him a little bit, right. which, you know, think about that's that's wild 
to me. I get it. Like, I totally get it. Spite can be really fun, right? Trying to screw someone over that screwed you over can feel really good and cathartic. But if you're a fan of the Brooklyn Nets and you hear something like that and wonder if you could have gotten a better deal, and I don't think the Mavs gave up much for Kyrie Irving at all. That 2029 pick, no one cares about right now. Spencer Dinwiddie, like nice player. You know, Dorian Finney-Smith, nice player. But let's not pretend that these are big difference makers here, right? That wasn't a great return for a player of Kyrie's talent level. But they decided to take what might have been a lesser deal, you know, to spite him. Like, if I'm a fan of that team, I don't know if I like that at all. And that makes me wonder about those sorts of things. But emotions were running so high just from all of the stuff they had to deal with over so many years. Like, I get it. I understand it. It's just really interesting to look at that and be like, a team's not going to do what's in their own best interest to kind of spite somebody. You know, what message does that send to other players around the league? You know, building relationships is really important. If you screw over an agent's client or something like that, they might try and steer their other clients away from you. So you see teams try and curry favor with with an agency like Clutch, let's say, right? Or they do or don't have a good relationship with them if they don't, they tend not to sign those guys. If you if you kind of look at that, that's going to play in. If you're a free agent, if you're if you're someone that might want to go to Brooklyn and you kind of see what they just did there, like I don't know if I want to be part of that too. So I think that'll fade with time. But those are the type of things you've also got to look at when it comes to the type of moves and Joe Sai just being like, I am so done with this. Yeah, it raises a lot of interesting questions. Um, you know, I, I do wonder privately also what conversations is Adam Silver having behind closed doors I mean you've seen you know David Stern speaking of the Pelicans I mean intervened on a a Lakers Chris Paul trade uh way back when and and it almost feels like yes they got some young talent but but really I mean nothing that's proven like all-star talent in return and then it's up in the air with picks who knows how long Phoenix is going to be at an elite level could be a short amount of time could be a long amount of time you don't really know with those picks but I do wonder you brought up you know the CBA and and things like that I do wonder if it um, leads to more like votes on trades or like (laughs) things like that that we haven't seen before it's it's going to be interesting you know like there's it you're and you're seeing it you mentioned the picks which i think is kind of interesting you're seeing a trend around the league of people really trying to kick picks down the road they don't want to pick in 2023 2024 2025 we want it as far out as we can get them the pelicans did this with the lakers right you try and outlast the team that you're trading that guy to They're, the suns are going to be good for the next two years getting a first round pick this year next year i don't even know what they have or, or the full numbers of what they traded that's not going to do you any good that's going to be 27th, 28th, 29th, 30th in the draft. You don't want that. You want something that's going to be higher. So you want it in like 2032 when they're hopefully trying to rebuild after the Kevin Durant trade and those things. You know, are they going to try and rein some of that in in the CBA negotiations? Or do they want to make it so you can trade them out further? I think you can only go out seven years now. So do they want to try and kick that, make that even longer? And how's that going to impact things? Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to really think about when it comes to like creativity of how do you rein this in or what do you want to change and tweak uh last question for you what is the fan dynamic i mean i think a lot of younger fans gravitate more towards players when they're watching the nba on a daily basis they play nba 2k so like that they have a personal connection to the player not the team do you see with this this reshuffle this reshuffling and just all the turmoil with the front office do you see that damaging the relationship between the fans and just teams league-wide if this continues like we saw in brooklyn 
It's an interesting question. You know, I, I don't know if I have, I have to think about more, that more. That's a really good one. You know, you're right though, that I think the kind of the younger generation coming in is more focused on the player rather than the team. That probably comes from like highlights and things like that, right? We know that kind of viewership of like full games is down and people yeah. are kind of consuming their content through clips and things like that. So if you're watching a highlight reel of Kyrie Irving and that's kind of all you see from him, your attachment is to Kyrie and the plays that he's making not the jersey that he's wearing. You, you might not even know if he helped them win the game or not. You just know he scored 40 points or something like that. It, you know, I, so all of this player movement isn't bad from the league if that's kind of the way that it's trending, but it definitely does alienate an older fan base, I think, and that's someone you still need to kind of court and still want to have around. It's it's That's a really interesting idea that I'm going to start thinking more about, so I appreciate you bringing that one up here because um, I don't have an answer to that. That's going to be kind of curious to see what that means for the league going forward because that's going to play into the CBA, right? It's all basketball related revenue, BRI. And that's going to be really interesting to see if that, what, what comes in with all of that. Jake, this was awesome. Thank you so much for spending time with us on a very <laughs> busy, chaotic trade deadline day <laughs> and night. Um, please plug for our listeners where they can follow you and what projects you're working on. Yeah, you know, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Nola Jake. I host the Locked On Pelicans podcast. It's there Monday through Friday on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Just search Locked On Pelicans. You'll find it. And then I host our national show on Wednesdays, Locked On NBA. Same thing. Just search that. You'll find it. Awesome, Jake. Thanks so much. Much appreciated. Thanks, you guys.